Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sam Fortier from the Washington Post as we discuss the quarterbacks he saw while down at the Senior Bowl a couple weeks ago. He provides good insight into how he saw them during the week in practice and some personality and and on-field traits. As you might have heard, Washington needs a quarterback. You can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam4TR. That's Sam, the the number four, TR. And you can read my work on ESPN.com and, of course, his on WashingtonPost.com. Remember, you can subscribe to the Empire Media Network on YouTube. Post a comment on there. I'll probably see it. And and if it's something worth responding to, I will respond. And we can have a conversation on there. I'm not going to address the Dan Snyder situation too much today because not a whole lot has changed in terms of any momentum toward getting him out. And I'm not trying to... My job here isn't to increase your hopes or dampen your hopes. It's just to try just to be honest about what the situation is. You can listen to my podcast on Monday with sports law expert Michael McCann, and I share my thoughts on that podcast based on what I've heard as well. Now, if major sponsors start targeting the NFL, different story. It's why the name ultimately was changed. But until that happens, other owners will not want the smoke that Snyder brings if they tried to force him to sell. There's no doubt the league is exasperated and frustrated with him and what's happened in Washington. And there's still no doubt other owners would want him out. But wanting him out and voting him out, knowing the consequences toward them, possibly, are two different things. We'll see if it gets to that point. I know there is one local sponsor that pulled out. If more follow, then does that create momentum? I don't know, but I think we're still a ways away from having legitimate momentum toward that, toward that outcome. And for now, again, I'll just I try to be honest with you about what I know and what what I've heard. Um, so I'm not going to give you false hope in saying that. Oh, I think this is the time right now, based on what you hear. I don't think we're at that point at right now. Anyway, and I keep and I'm going to try and stop saying right now. All right, well, before I get to Sam, a couple of things. This point was raised, or this topic was raised in the first draft podcast with Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay and Field Yates about the Rams and the Bengals, so I thought I'd discuss it here. One, and I'm going to localize it, I guess. One huge key for both those teams, as they pointed out, was the number of high picks whom they hit on. I'm not just talking first rounders, but in those top three to four rounds. And that got me to thinking about this place. I know this regime is relatively new and the front office structure has only been in place for one year. So I can't tag them with the sins of the past, um, but the lack of hitting on high picks is partly why Washington still is where they're at as an organization. And it's why they haven't had more success. And it's something that needs to change. Last year, the four picks in the first four rounds, they only received consistent contributions from Sam Cosme and John Bates. Now, Benjamin St. Juice was helping until he got hurt, so there's hope for him. 
what how he develops or what level he develops to. Maybe he's just a third corner. You know, a, a third corner plays a lot in the NFL. So Jamin Davis should not have been drafted 19th with the idea of turning into a middle linebacker, especially in hindsight. He's an outside linebacker, and that's where he's going to be. I think he can – I still think he can become a solid player for them, but we'll see. I think there are some traits that he has that really fit well out there. I just don't think that if they if they felt like he wasn't going to become – a possible middle linebacker for them. I don't know that they would have taken him at 19, but we'll see. And I, I, talk, I remember talking to Logan Paulson about this after the season. He has hopes for him as an outside linebacker, uh, but he's got to develop there because he did not provide the level of um, play, Im- immediate impact that you would hope for from a first rounder. Deami Brown did not show a whole lot, but again, rookies aren't finished products and he was a third rounder for a reason. What Terry McLaurin did as a rookie third-round pick was an outlier for players picked in that round. But while Brown, there are some, he showed some flashes late, and there are a couple of things I like that you, that you think, okay, can he can build on this going forward, but he didn't show nearly enough. Class, rookie classes need time to develop. Um, you give them a few years, right? But this group needs to do a lot more. We all know that. I like Bates as a, as a complementary piece at tight end. Very good blocker. Helps that run game. And I think he'll become a consistent pass catcher, but we're not talking about a guy who's going to be a primary pass catching threat. Um, I think he fits a role and he fits it well. Cosme is a strong run blocker, a legit starter who has to be a little bit more consistent um, in pass protection. But I think he's got a chance to be a quality starter. All right. But a year ago, the picks in the first four rounds were Chase Young, Antonio Gibson, Sadiq Charles, and Antonio Gandy-Golden. Young was excellent in the second half of his rookie season. In particular, he was not excellent last year before tearing his ACL. I said this during the season, and Ron Rivera talked about it on this podcast right after the season, but Young tried to be someone he wasn't as a pass rusher, trying to be more of a finesse guy, finesse speed guy off the edge rather than using his strength, which is attacking violently. Um, He's got burst, he's got strength, he's got athleticism, and when he when he comes off the edge hard, or when he comes, you get right at a guy, he can use a, his hands are very violent and very effective. So that's what he needs to get back to. But the thing is, that's what he was as a rookie. And he so he can get back there. I just think he has to understand that. He can get back to that trajectory he was on after his rookie season, but it's going to take him, again, understanding who he is as a player. And I also think knowing his role as a team leader and all that comes with it. For this pick to work, Young has to become a perennial pro bowler and make some all-pro teams. That's his talent level, and that's the expectation when you're pick number two overall. Again, one strong finish to his rookie year, not, not a great start to his second year. We'll see where it goes. But I'm not giving up on the kid because there's too much talent there, and I think there's a lot of want to as well. But I think he's got to go out and do it, right? That's what you do. Gibson was a very good pick, and he's still on his way up. I liked how he finished because he and he's shown he can learn a new position and improve while he's doing so. I think that was a good pick. Charles has shown flashes, but I thought he would have challenged for a starting job this year inside. He did not. He's not a tackle. He's a guard. That's where he's definitely better at. They need him to develop into a starter for this pick to really hit. But as a fourth-round pick, if he becomes a quality backup, and while Young and Gibson flourish, then that's okay. Dandy Golden has not been a good pick at all, period. In 2019, it was Dwayne Haskins with the first pick. Bad pick. It was the owner's doing, and it's why he must stay out of the quarterback decision. Dan Snyder has a lot of faults. We know that. 
One of them is that he thinks he knows which quarterback needs to be here. He does not. They traded up for Montez Sweat in the back of the first round, and that was kind of a nod to the coaches who did in, in front in the front office, or excuse me, the scouts and stuff, who did not want Haskins at the 15th pick. Um, some of them wanted Sweat there. Um, so getting him at 26 is a good pick. Now, they did have to give up a draft pick, uh, a second rounder to get up there, but he was a good pick. And he was having a solid season when he got hurt. Um, so I think that was that was a good pick. Then it's Terry McLaurin, home run. Then it was Bryce Love, never played. Then it was Wes Martin. So three of the five are no longer here. And because they had Haskins, they decided not to draft Justin Herbert or Tua, though pretty sure it would have been Herbert based on what I've been hearing at the time about what they thought of them. It is what it is, folks. Again, it was a different regime, but the misses added up to why they can't sustain success. And the last group I'll do is 2018 because it highlighted some wild misses. They selected Deron Payne. He's been very good for them, but not a pro bowler. Picking defensive tackles in consecutive years helped them build a strong defensive line. I know there are some there, though, who wanted to pick safety Derwin James. Tremaine Edmonds, a linebacker from Buffalo, um, who is now with Buffalo, was another. I'd have gone with James. Now, when we did our ESPN mock draft that spring, I picked Edmonds because James was not available. Um, but they could have built a strong D at multiple levels by going this way. Still, Payne has been good, so you can't say it was a bad pick. But there are other guys that you could say, well, maybe I would have rather had him. But Payne has been a good pick. But the rest, Darius Geis, Jaron Christian, and Troy Aki, those were the other picks in the first four rounds. I've heard a few things as to who, who wanted whom, especially with – Geis, but the bottom line is they missed badly in this draft. Geis should never have been taken, especially based on what's come out since and some information that they, I believe, knew at the time. His knees were an issue in addition to the other questions about him. Christian is no longer here, and Apke is a free agent who is just a special teamer. I know coaches consider him above average special teamer, but when you're picked in the fourth round, you need to be more than that. You need to be able to, to, be able to provide help from scrimmage and that's just not something he can do. You add it up and it explains why Washington can't do more than it has or hasn't done more than it has. It hasn't just been about the quarterback. It's been about missing on too many picks in the first four rounds. Not all of them are going to hit. And as you go each subsequent round, the, the hits are decrease. But you can't miss on them as, as many of the high picks as they have. If they, and again, I'm not saying they've missed on Young. I still think there's hope for him. I'm, but it's but it's the top four rounds where you've got to be able to find consistent starters or contributors. If they gave up, if they give up trade capital to acquire quarterback, and if it's a big name, it's going to be a lot of capital. Then the only way to sustain success is by getting it right with the with those with the picks beyond the first round. That means coaches in the front office must be in sync with who they want, so that way when they get him here. The coaches can then develop them. There is pressure on the coaches to do that. Some guys need to be developed, need to be developed, and some teams are good at doing that because of how they're coached. It's why I, I'll say this: it's why I think John Matsko and Pete Hayner are their two best coaches because I think they know how to develop guys. Um, I think Randy Jordan has done a good job with that as well at running backs. But the line and the tight ends, I think those two coaches, Matsko and Hayner, are really good at developing their players. I think with Matsko, one of the reasons is. You watch that group. He'll work. He'll work with the younger guys after practice, giving them extra reps. He'll work with. He'll work with them before games on the field, going through reps like as if it was a practice. That helps them develop. 
when Bill Callahan was here, the vets struggled with him at times because they didn't like how he worked them after practice. Matt's go lets the vets go, but he keeps the young guys here, the guys who need to be developed, and he works with them. And Travell Wharton, the assistant line coach, does that as well. So that's why that group, I think, despite all the injuries and despite some of the um, the absences up front, especially at center, it's why that group was still able to compete despite all the, the situation. This group warns time because a lot of this is not on them. In a good draft, executives will tell you that you find two to three quality starters and two others who contribute to winning. It's not just about becoming a, a, a guy who plays a lot. It's about being a key player who helps them win. Now give them some time on last year's class because it can take two to three years to fully see what's what. Same thing with um, their, the two, 2020 class with um, guys like Sadiq Charles, can, does he develop into a starter? That would be a really big help if he does. If they don't develop, if they don't develop last year's class, if they don't hit it, get it right this year, it's going to be another unhappy regime that eventually leaves. With that, let's turn to the rookie quarterbacks. So after this break, I'll be back with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. Now, we recorded this a week ago when he was fresh off the Senior Bowl, so we limited the conversation strictly to this topic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Sam Fortier from The Washington Post. All right, Sam. Well, I wanted to have you on mainly because I figured you probably missed talking to me. And I just wanted to give you the opportunity to hear my voice. Because I just, I know how you probably get. And is that, I'm safe to say, and that's probably right, isn't it? It's a long off-season, Kime. And, and so <laughs> this is just quite a joy to be back with you. There you go. And it's only been a month. Well, I, but I did want to have you on because last week while we were all doing serious reporting, you were down playing in Mobile, Alabama, watching <laughs> watching quarterbacks, oh, football, on the field stuff, you know, but you had the fun assignment. So I, I will say that. And, you know, um, but I want to have you on to talk quarterbacks because this is obviously the big thing. Five of the five of the top six quarterbacks were down there, except for Matt Corral, of course. So I wanted to get some impressions from you just what you saw and heard up close that you can share um, what you heard um, about these quarterbacks. And in general, what were some of the things that you heard from people there in, um, just about this class? Is it, does it match with what has been said previously to the senior bowl? Yeah. And, and it was such a quiet week last week that I was glad I was able to get away and, and kind of make, <laughs> you know, get, get some of that time with these quarterbacks. Um, but I think that, because five of those top six quarterbacks were there, that kind of tells you what you need to know about this quarterback class, right? Because right. when you have guys that are seniors coming out and when you have a lack of a, a true number one at the top of that class, um, I think that tells you that this is not, you know, a, a slam dunk class like like you've had in the past with, you know, with Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray, those, those surefire number one picks, uh, Trevor Lawrence last year. So, I mean, the, the things that you've heard, you know, that, that really I think it's a it's a two man race at this point to be the first quarterback taken. Uh, you have the safer option in Kenny Pickett at a pit, a guy that scouts and, and people that I had talked to uh, down in Mobile think projects as as a Derek Carr or right. a Kirk Cousins long term. And then 
You have uh, Malik Willis out of Liberty who has all the traits. You know, he can run, he can throw. Uh, he actually had the the high, like the fastest throw um, that the combine has measured since 2019, 75 miles per hour out of his hand, um, which is obviously a really impressive number. But as we saw in the senior bowl, you know, he, he does take off. He, he, you know, is, is, he has a long way to go mechanically. Uh, he's, he's not consistent. Um, sometimes, you know, his, his talents let him create those big explosive plays. Uh, but sometimes it caused him to throw interceptions. He threw right. 12 last year, tied for seventh most in SBS, but you have to wait for him. He's probably gonna have to sit a year. And I had one guy tell me that he thinks he's rawer than Josh Allen was in 2018. So it, it you know, really you're looking at two different evaluations, two different type of guys um, at the top of the class. And then at the you know the rest of the class we can get into if you'd like, but but that's kind of the the broad overview. And and that's and I heard the same thing about Malik about being more raw than Josh Allen. He's not you know and the thing that I've always heard and I've said this on here that this class pretty much the consensus that I've heard from others is that the number one quarterback in this class would have gone after each of the five last year. So like Mac Jones goes fifteen. It may have been that the next guy goes nineteen to Washington. But when you bring up a Derek Carr type, well, he was a, what, I think a second round pick, um, which is probably the level. And there's nothing wrong if he maxes out as Derek Carr, well, people want to trade for Derek Carr now. So there's nothing wrong with that. But do you take that at 11? And that's that's part of the thing. What did you get some impressions of just being around him and being able to watch him work? What what were some of your impressions of him? So Pickett, uh, for me. He was the guy that uh, at the at the Senior Bowl opening press conference on Tuesday, he was the guy that spoke. Um, Jim Nagy, the executive director, spoke very highly of him. He is a guy who was roommates with Joe Burrow at the Manning Passing Academy. To me, he kind of has, uh, you know, it seems like he has a lot of connections in the league. He's very polished. Um, he's sort of the guy uh, – that, that looks the part that, that is the leader. Obviously he, he had three pretty mediocre years at Pitt and then kind of exploded during his senior year. But he, he seems like a guy that you couldn't ask a question that would, would phase him. Um, you know, very steady. He seems like, you know, kind of the guy Malik Willis, when we talked to him was, uh, I thought very impressive. He kind of went on, on a charm offensive, you know, he, like he sat down, he said, uh, good morning. And a couple of reporters mumbled good morning back. And he was like, Oh, no one says good morning anymore. Uh, I guess y'all just must stare at each other. And so, and then from then on, he went and he handled questions really well. I mean, Hey, when you left Auburn, you said multiple times it's because you weren't working hard enough. Are there concerns about that in the future? You know, are you a, a cerebral is the word he kept using. Are you a cerebral quarterback? And I thought he handled it really well. He was, he was pretty, you know, he was pretty affable and, and for the 10 minutes that we saw him anyway. And there, there was a lot of moments in the senior bowl where he was, you know, kind of overtly being a good teammate with his other quarterbacks. You know, those are kind of the impressions that I got of being up close with those two guys. And it's funny with Malik during the game, which is what I was able to watch. And I think practices are really telling because you see how they work up close. You see how they interact during practices, how they are in drills, et cetera. But during the game, the one thing that impressed me with him and, it's hard from a TV copy to see why did you run? But what I know is that there were some early protection breakdowns where he turned a five to eight yard loss into a, an incompletion, which is a major win, you know? And so I think he has that ability. It also, one of the things, and 
I'm curious if you were able to see this up close is they talk about layering the throws, throwing a little bit more finesse on some throws. Did you see or hear any of that with him as a, as a concern? As a, and, and if so, what level of a concern? I think that he's capable of that, but it was pretty remarkable during the senior bowl practices, how he would just get out of the pocket and he would, he would look deep. And I think that the numbers uh, from zebra technologies, kind of the player tracking data backs that up. Uh, but really I think that he was, it seemed like he was, and I had a scout tell me this as well, he seemed intent on showing everyone the physical tools that he has. You know, he would get out of the pocket, he would throw it deep. You know, he would throw, he would show off that arm strength, especially on Wednesday. There was a big downpour on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, I think he kind of seemed intent on, hey, you know, my talent translates no matter the conditions, no matter what it is, you know, I can get out of the pocket. I can throw, uh, you know, I, I can find that guy. And, and uh, yeah, there, there were some touch passes. Um, and, but, but I think he could layer those throws just maybe wasn't looking for it as much. I think that a really telling example was, so the Lions staff uh, was the coach for Malik Willis and, and their quarterbacks coach, Mark Brunel, um, obviously the former NFL quarterback as well. Uh, he got really fired up when Malik Willis checked it down to the running back on a swing pass on one play because he was throwing it deep so much. I think that when he checked down Mark Brunel, you know, got pretty fired up, went over, you know, got into him a little bit. Um, and that to me was really telling because when Malik Willis tells you, I want to be a cerebral quarterback, I want to take what the defense gives me. I want to be able to show them that I can consistently make the right decision. Um, and then for Brunel to get as fired up as he did, that was a pretty illustrative example to me of where Willis wants to go. Yeah. And that, I think that's a great example too um, of, of that. And you don't see a guy get fired up. Listen, when I would coach, you know, middle schoolers, if a kid is doing the same thing over and over and finally does what you say, this is the smart, this is the play you want to make, and he does it, I'm going to get fired up too. Sam, if I had coached you, I'd have been fired up like that. How's that? But, but so I, you know, so I think that's a great example of what they're looking for. And I, I would hope like with Malik that a guy like him, you don't want to go overboard trying to show something because your, you know, your talent is unique and you watch Josh Allen and, you know, you watch um, uh, the Mahomes in that one game or in the playoffs where they were making plays that had nothing to do with being cerebral. It's because you're different. You're different dudes. And I think that's where Malik will have to get that. that but that's why they can, you know, and play, coming from Liberty is another concern. But that's why you say put him in the right spot. Let him, you know, he's going to play no matter what they say. He's going to play as a rookie. I don't care where he goes. He's going to end up playing because they always do. Right. Um, but, but get in the right spot for him and, and then go from there. Did you, um, do you have any lasting impressions of him either from a game or, or any other moment that, that stood out to you? I would say that that Brunel one is, is important. That's a good example. He, he made a really nice um, throw. Actually, it was a bootleg to his left. Uh, he, he made a nice throw to that Colorado state tight end um, McBride and and I think that just the, the things that stand out are the athleticism and, and the and, and his really strong arm, right? Because those are the things that I think we've seen throughout this playoffs. If you're going to duel with a, with an Allen, uh, Josh Allen, or Patrick right. Mahomes, like you got to be capable of doing some of those things athletically. And it kind of goes back to to our earlier conversation about okay, if Kenny Pickett tops out as Kirk Cousins as Derek Carr, yes, people do want to trade for them, but there is a part of me that says can you win with those guys sustainably? And, and you one, have to have a lot person, around them. That's right. One person put it to me this way. You are going to win with Kenny Pickett, but you are not going to win because of and him. And that's a great way to put it. Yep. 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 And, and, and I think so that's it. And, and so to me, 
if yeah, if Malik if, if Malik Willis is uh you know a, a low floor, high ceiling guy, if he's a high risk, high reward guy, if he has the capability of being a top quarter of the league guy, of being a guy that you can you can win because of, you can put the game on his shoulder. To me, it's it's almost worth it rather than playing it safe because if you get four years down the road and Kenny Pickett's Derek Carr and you're saying, oh, you know, we don't know if this now is a guy, you know, you know, we're we're topping out in the divisional round, maybe the wild card round, and you got to pay him. Is that a guy you can commit Kirk Cousins' money to? I mean, it's no. the same thing. I think if, if they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, obviously that's been talked about. Like, what what is that? What is that making your ceiling? Is that making you a Super Bowl ceiling team? Right. And I think that's the thing with both those guys is you have to be able to have the room. And this is why with here, not to go down this whole road, but with Cousins, the concern here wasn't so much do they want, do they think he can play? Because they're willing to pay him at a certain amount. But you get to a, a higher amount, now you can't build around him. And you're right, those guys need guys around them. Mahomes, Allen, those guys. Now, Allen needed guys around him too. And he's, you know, he's still on that the deal. So it's, you can still do it, but I think that is something that teams will definitely have to consider. And, and, and at what point do you think, listen, if you think Willis, if he only has to sit a year and you think he can play, then I think you're negligent if you don't take him, right? Because then it's like, okay, for one year, Mahomes sat for a year, but that's where you, if you get a Jimmy G or a Trubisky who can be that guy that you can help him grow or can, you know, help lead him. I guess Jimmy G kind of did that with, with Trey Lance and then you turn it over to him. That's not a bad succession plan possibly, you know? So that's right. one thing. Let's go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I, I think to me, if, if you as a front office think that you do not have the dude, like, like I think of Tennessee right now with Ryan Tannehill, they have a great team around him. Yeah. His cap hit is huge as well, or it's, it's going to get even bigger. But if you don't think that that dude can win you a Super Bowl or you can win a Super Bowl with him, then I think you have to move on because what what are you doing otherwise? Correct. And, and you know, I go back to sometimes in the NBA, they used to say you don't pay max money to a guy who's not a max player. And I think that's true. And that position is getting so exorbitant with the salaries that you're now having to pay big money for guys who are in that mid-tier range. And that's where that's where it becomes difficult. And that's why you look for guys like where's the where's the sweet spot? Is it right in the middle if you trade for Jimmy G? I got to keep bringing him up and I only bring him up people because I know he's going to be available, <laughs> not because I'm just advocating for it, but there's a sweet spot for some guys where it's like, you don't have to give up a lot to get him, and he's not going to cost as much as some other guys. So you can still build while to me still looking for a guy. Anyway, let's move on to some other quarterbacks because there are other guys there. The guy that I was most impressed with during the game was Desmond Ritter. How was he during the week and what were your, because he's, there's a lot of inconsistencies with him. You know, and we all know that. But what was your impression on him? Or what do you agree with that? And what was your take? Yeah, I think the thing that I had heard and in, in my impression in was that he was a little bit more polished. I know that he was working on some of his mechanics. I know that um, the big thing for him was ball placement. He was he was, right. you know, you know, he'd, he'd uh, float a pass or, or he'd, you know, make a guy, you know, really uh, have a difficult catch when, when you shouldn't have. And, and that was, you know, minimizing yards after catch. So the thing he was talking about how he was lengthening his stride while he was there to try to, you know, get more consistent ball placement, putting it in the frame of the receiver, allowing them to, to turn up field, running back tight end, whatever. Um, I, I think that he was impressive. And I think that he is not a, a blend of, of Pickett and, and Willis, but I do think he has some mobility, but he's not, you know, he's not the designed run guy. Um, but I think that he, 
you know, he obviously had um, a lot of uh, pre-snap responsibility at Cincinnati, not as much as Carson Strong out of Nevada, who I think had the most. He had full autonomy at the line, you know, protections, hot routes, everything like that. But he, he had, you know, a good amount of responsibility. Um, I think he's, you know, pretty consistent. He was a four-year starter. I, I thought he was very impressive and maybe flew a little bit under the radar uh, at the Senior Bowl. Excuse me. And I think with, with Ritter, you bring that by that point, there were a couple of plays he had in the game, which is why I like, because he did use the mobility to get outside the pocket and he'd either mechanically do it right, keeping your eyes up, keeping the ball alive, or being able to make a play because you got outside the pocket and you were able to avoid a, a, a rush against bootleg or whatever and still make a play with your arm. And, and I felt like his ball placement was better in the game than it, and more consistent. Um, and he's a guy I think that would be after the first round. Uh, is that what you heard? Uh, I, I think he could play his way into maybe the end of the first round, but yeah, certainly okay, yeah. I think that I think I think that at eleven that that's not really on the no, table. No, 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 you can't do it there. I think he's a yeah. guy that if you say okay, if he's there in the second round and whatever, so right. I think North Carolina's Sam Howell is is kind of in that in that same boat. Yeah. He could play himself up, but but I think really people see him more as a, a second round guy. What was your impression of Howell? Uh, I mean, on the field, I think that there are a lot of questions because, you know, obviously he ran an RPO-based uh, offense, a lot of gun, almost exclusively gun at North right. Carolina, um, and he's been working a lot under center. Um, I think that, you know, people were a little um, concerned coming in that, you know, he wouldn't use his legs to uh, extend the play, look downfield. He would take off and run. He did a ton of that in North Carolina. He, he lost a ton of production including Deami Brown off his 2020 team when, when he had that breakout season. Um, and 2021 was obviously disappointing for North Carolina. Um, he lost a lot around him, um, but I think he, he tried to play hero, but he said he tried to play hero ball a little, a little bit too much. Um, it, obviously, you know, he's, he's drawn the Baker Mayfield comparisons yeah, he and, and he, he kind of embraced that when, when asked about it. Um, but in terms of his interview, he just kept saying, you know, I want to show people who I am throughout this process. And I asked him, you know, what does that mean? Uh, he said, you know, I'm a man of God. I think that God has a plan for me. I, I'm a really good leader. I think I'm the best leader in this class. Uh, I think that I can get guys on the same page. So really I think, and he, you know, reiterated some form of that throughout the week. So to me, that's a guy who uh, is marketing, I guess, to his teams, pitching to his teams that he was meeting with leadership uh, and, and, you know, his ability to adapt to situations that, that was kind of my impression of where Sam Howell was at. It's funny you bring up the legs because in the second half of that game, that's primarily the place he made were with his legs just running. Now in the first half, there are a couple of times where he was able to extend and move up in the pocket and keep the play alive that way and moving in the pocket and through, I think he had a couple of completions that way, but um, what about Carson Strong? I, I found Carson Strong, uh, I don't want to say unpolished because that sounds unflattering, but like he was the most just like real transparent. He went through like the most in-depth uh, explanation of his knee surgery that I, I have ever heard from an athlete. Um, you know, he had this, uh, he had this uh, thing in his knee. I can't pronounce it, uh, but basically he had eight biodegradable screws put in his knee and it should have taken a, a year Um a year for him to get back on the field. And he, he was out there six months later, he had the surgery last February. He was out for Nevada season and he, and he, he laughed and he was like, you know, I, I was a statue back there for the first half of the season. Cause I, I, I could, you know, I couldn't move around. And, and he, he said, you know, he kind of spun it as I was so limited with mobility that 
it, it really improved my mental game because I had to have all the protections exactly right. I had to have my hot routes exactly right. Uh, I don't know if there's cursing allowed on the, on the John Kime report, but uh, he said, basically, if I didn't get the, if I didn't get through my reads and know exactly where I was going and set up everything right, I was uh, shoot out of luck. So, you know, you I mean, he, you could have said it. I could have said it. Okay. I didn't know if this was a family friendly, you know, dad esque <laughs> podcast. We're talking about a team that hasn't won in a while. There's a lot of people who are curse, cursing when listening to it, so it's probably okay. He is not. He's a traditional pocket passer. He does not bring the mobility that even Kenny Pickett does, uh, you know, in terms of rolling out of the pocket and extending the play a little bit. He is he is less mobile than that. Um, but but he had full autonomy at Nevada, as we talked about. So he really, I think, is, is pitching mental acuity. Uh, he'll get you in the right play. Uh, he has a lot of responsibility and, and he's ready for a pro style offense right now. He has a big arm, not, not the biggest that's still Willis, but I, I, I think that the, one of the comparisons that I heard was like Kyle Trask in a Florida last year, not 100%, um, but, but similar play style. Yeah, I could, I could see that. The one thing that jumped out again, I'm not a scouting expert, draft expert, but when I watch guys, it's going to be closer to the draft, right? Just to get a more so not to say like, I know everything about them, just to get a feel for their play. Right. And you know, it's, it's doing your homework, Sam, you know what I'm saying? You feel me on that? Hey man, before we did this podcast, I grinded 10 hours of tape. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know I was, I was going to text you, but I thought there's no way he's up at three 30 in the morning doing this. So I didn't want to bother you, but (laughs) <laughs> but but with him the one thing like I haven't so I haven't watched a lot of his games I do believe he intrigues this team but watching the game Saturday I felt like it kind of fit what I had heard about him with some of the inconsistencies uh, with his ball placement with the, or with his accuracy and ball placement is this which shoulder are you hitting it on are you giving a chance as you brought up earlier you're giving a guy a chance to run with the ball but there were some inconsistencies with his accuracy in that game and um, you could see that he doesn't he can move in the pocket, but he's not going to create anything on his own, which I think is what the book on him was. Is What did you see during the week, even just in practices? Yeah, in, in practice, I, th- I think, you know, similar things. Um, you obviously didn't see the limited mobility as much um, just because, you know, right. they're, they're, they weren't. Uh, going 100%. But I think that uh, the ball placement, I would say that I thought he, we were talking about layering throws. Um, He wasn't super accurate, but he had, I think, as much as anyone, the touch um, on his throws. He was able to, you know, um, put right over corners on on certain routes or, um, you know, because when he had to throw the bullet pass, when he had to throw the touch pass, he he really, you know, it wasn't always uh, in the exact right spot, but it seemed like it was the right velocity. It seemed like it was... um, you know, getting where it needed to be on the, on at the time it needed to get there. And that, I think that's where, again, that's why he's not going to go in the first round. He's got some skills that, you know, and all that he's another developmental guy. Um, did you hear much a comparison for him? Or you, you brought up Trask. Did you hear anything else from him? Like either concerns by people or, um, you know, as far as like his future and what he could maybe develop into? Well, I think the I think the knee thing really stands out because he had had surgery on his on his right knee um, in high school as a senior in high school as well. So this is a recurring thing. Um, I didn't hear uh, you know an, a popular NFL comp um, or or maybe what he would top out as or, or concerns long term in that regard. I think mainly teams wanted to see how is the knee doing. That was the the mm-hmm. dominant question. I think he answered those questions, you know, fairly well. Uh, but you're right. I mean, he's seen as a developmental guy, even though, you know, um, was at Nevada for four years. Uh, but but I think that uh, mainly 
mainly it's it's the knee and I think the combine is going to be huge for him because right. uh you know the medical evaluation has the you know those biodegradable nails that he had in his knee or screws that he had in his knee you know are those you know is his knee looking you know good is the inflammation staying down um but but no comps in terms of uh passers people would know so basically the final takeaway on this whole group do you come away thinking that you know hey if I have a pick I'm taking Malik Willis is that would that be your line of thinking on this? Is he the guy that you come away most intrigued by? Yeah, I, I think that this is the, the question over the next three months, basically, is how likely do we think it is that Malik Willis is capable of hitting his ceiling? You know, how, you know, whether you do the psychological evaluation, the interview, you talk to people, work ethic was a concern at Auburn. And, and if we talk about developmental quarterbacks that were taken too early that did not reach their potential, there is obviously a very clear recent example of Washington right. missing on that guy. Right. And I'm not saying they're two different quarterbacks. They're two different situations. I'm not saying they're the same, but there are some striking similarities. So for me, from, from what I've heard in Mobile and unless things change, I would say Malik Willis is, is the only one in this class capable of being a true franchise passer of being a, a talented guy that can go toe to toe with the young, talented quarterbacks that are coming up mostly in the AFC, but that are, you know, seem as though they have a chance to dominate the league for the next decade or so. Um, if you want to compete with those teams, I, I think you got to go with that guy. Um, Kenny Pickett could surprise me, but he would be surprising a lot of people if that was the case. Yeah. And it, you know, it almost feels like he'd be almost like a Daniel Jones pick and I'm not comparing him to Daniel Jones, but like a, and in fairness to Willis, like the work ethic, you are allowed to evolve and improve in that area. So just because yes. he was like that at Auburn, I mean, I remember like when you came in, my goodness, Nikki just said that <laughs> Sam does not work. He's lazy. It's like, I call him, he's probably sleeping on the couch. So, and then look at, look at how you are now. So you, you've really improved too. There's, there's never been a Washington football team. Washington command. It's going to take me a little bit to get used to that. There's never been a uh, Washington commander's beat writer to have his appendix burst in his first year on the beat and come back and make anything of himself. That's true. But you didn't have any biodegradable screws put in. Though. That's true. I, I think for, for reference, that was you. Oh, that was me. That's right. Well, you had <laughs> Wait, your you appendix. You no, no, no. Because you had your appendix out. Didn't you? You had your appendix out last year, didn't you? Yeah, in 2020, my first year on the beat, yeah. I remember I was laying in the hospital, you know, during the bye week, and you called and you were like, hey, man, I, I know this sucks, but it happened to me my first year. You're going to be okay. It did. And that's like, you know, the funny thing is, because it was my first preseason game I was going to cover. And as you know, it's a big deal to reach a point where you're covering an NFL team, because like, I just wanted to be in that press box. That's where I wanted to be. It was my first chance to be in the RFK press box. And I wake up with that, the appendix, just like, it's like, I just thought it was a bad cramp. It wouldn't go away. I had to drive to the doctors. The nurse tells me, you have to go right to the hospital. We are taking your appendix out. And I started getting tears in my eyes. And she's like, oh, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I'm like, I know I'm going to be okay. I am so pissed. I'm missing this game. Like it meant that much to me. And I was on drugs, taking notes, listening to Frank Herzog on the radio. As my wife's like, what are you doing? So, but I had a yellow, yellow legal pad of notes. Listen to the game. So, yes, and well, I did do that. But that's why I like, you know, so, you know, if you want to follow my footsteps, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. I can't believe you forgot. Well, I didn't forget, but I just thought you were referencing you because I knew it happened to you. But, yeah, I knew it happened to me. Trust me. I haven't forgotten. I'm still pissed. <laughs> I'm still pissed. But if you're, if you're still here and this is the line, Sam. So in 20-some years, when this team is gone, 
I don't think you want to go down that road. I won't even do that to you. So <laughs> I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> on that note, on that note, how, how else was Mobile? Do you have some good barbecue? And why wasn't as good as, why wasn't as good, why wasn't it as good as mine? Uh, to be fair, I've never had yours. I've never gotten the invite. Well, just take my uh, word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not as good as the pictures I see on Twitter. Um, no, mostly, mostly oysters, mostly, uh, you know, some oysters uh, and, and some seafood. Uh, but yeah, a tremendous, a tremendous time in Mobile. My first time down there. Um, so, and, and really, I think a really valuable uh, information gathering process in terms of, you know, understanding, you know, where prospects are at and where teams yeah. are. At. I think, I think that this, you know, was a really good first window. We're going to get another one at the combine here in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and we'll be off to, to draft season. There you go, Sam. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. We got through with no dad jokes. Good job. Yeah, no, no, no dad jokes, a couple of appendix stories. I think the people are going to love it. Yeah, I won't, I won't do the, if people want to know my latest dad joke, it's on Twitter. Just do Google with stud finders. And, you know, it's a, it's a predictable dad joke. And my kids, my wife rolls her eyes at it every time, but it works for me. So thanks a lot, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Sam for joining me. And thank you for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Friday. Talk to you next time.